Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now we better get down to business here, as we say, and look at the stories that are making the business pages and indeed the front pages uh, of the papers. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Susan Hayes Culleton, also known as the Positive Economist, and by the former Director General of the Law Society. Ken Murphy, uh, two regular contributors uh, to this slot. You're both very welcome. Morning, Bobby. Good morning. Ken, I know you want to talk about RT, so we'll let you get, no, your, no, I get was, it off your I chest. I want to talk about the rugby, and I think the, the viewers, or the listeners should know that you're wearing an Irish jersey there, but it's not the one they'll be wearing this afternoon because it's green. That's correct. The Irish won't be wearing green. But anyway, to, to, to less pressing matters, <laughs> um, the, Iri- the Irish Times leads, I suppose all the newspapers probably leading uh, with the uh, with a head uh, under the headline RTE board quotes furious over chair resignation, uh, three of their top journalists Arthur Beasley, Jack Horgan Jones, and Pat Leahy are all contributing to this story, and we all know that um, the uh, minister um, uh, Catherine Martin went on prime time on on Thursday night, and rather to the surprise of anyone who was listening, uh, she refused to uh, endorse or, or express her confidence in the chair of the RTE authority. Chair of the RTE Authority uh, believed she had no uh, option but to resign and did resign later that night, about one in the morning, apparently. So the fallout from that is what we're looking at now. Correct. Um, And there's a paragraph in the first column here in the Irish Times uh, report, which says, talks about criticism. The opposition was quick to attack Ms. Martin for remarks cast cast as an effective summary dismissal on television. It says... um. Even though uh, coalition leaders quickly backed the minister, the worsening RTE crisis has led some senior government figures to question her judgment. Mm. So that that issue is out there. Um, also, further on in the in the Irish Times report, in private, however, many ministers and senior officials are disturbed at the turn of events, and some blame Ms. Martin for a needless escalation of the political seriousness of the controversy. It's not going to go away. She's been invited to appear before the Oireachtas Media Committee next Tuesday and uh, indeed invited to bring her former Secretary-General if it would be helpful to her. So okay. this, is, this is some distance to run. It certainly has. We're in the middle of a story here now again. RT has been giving us uh, headlines for the past nine months now. Uh, we're still going through it, Susan, but... Um, in terms of, of what's happened and where we're at now in the story, do you think this is kind of a an indirect push on the whole board of RG? They seem to be reacting as if it is. Well, if we first of all get a sense of, of the woman that Shuno Raleigh is, I mean, she was a finance manager at, at, at Elan and then went on a founding... A, quite pivotal in creating Teenage E, then went on to become chair of TG Cahar and then CEO of Tyrone Productions. And when you look at the position that she had, obviously, as chair, and particularly she was only appointed in November 2022, now the fact that she's gone, if it was the case that the whole board was going to go with a new director general in Kevin Backhurst, the organisation would be entirely rudderless. So there was conversation, and it did come up in the piece that Ken referenced there, about potentially the whole board resigning, which I think would have been a disaster for, for the organisation. Oh, it may, it may still happen. But if you don't have a chair, if if you have a very new director general and then if you don't have a board at all in an organisation where there's questionable funding and massively declining TV licence payments, then what, Bobby? I I mean, at the end of the day, there there does need to be leadership in there. And while there was that certainly while it was discussed, it it, it didn't continue in terms of the the conversation. What Arthur Beasley does mention in, in his own piece 
and Matt Cooper does it also then in the mail, um, is both of them talk at the end of it about where does the money come from now? Because Arthur says the government has so little trust in RTE right now that the prospect of uh, of definitive funding settlement being reached seems ever more remote and that remains the fundamental riddle. And I think that is the key point here. Matt Cooper calls the organisation delinquent and I th- I'm not quite sure I'd agree with him on that. Okay, fair enough. There has been a lot of issues, but they're down to issues that are at the top and with pe- with people who have made questionable decisions, etc. But there's a lot of people involved here in RTE who work there and a service that is created that I think we also need to consider that RTE do- does provide a very valuable public service. And let's look at that and how it's going to be funded as well as what's going on at the moment. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting you mentioned Matt Cooper there. He, like he talks firstly about who would want the position uh, of new chair. It's going to be very difficult. I doubt to there'll get be a queue forming. Well, um, secondly, assuming once they get this new chair, who will probably have more radical ideas in terms of cost cutting, uh, how then will that new chair gel with Kevin Backhurst? Well, know? it is it is the outgoing chair or the now gone chair who actually appointed Kevin Backhurst or chaired the board that appointed Kevin Backhurst. So, his, so therefore, he is now... A little bit. Well, the question will arise in his mind, what will be the attitude to him of the new chair? Um, in the uh, And Backhurst, it says here in Matt Cooper's piece again, um, uh, Backhurst's support was not a surprise uh, because he was uh, her appointment. She gave him a job he clearly craved, unfinished business, says Matt Cooper, from the uh, uh, for, from the time the further chair the previous chair Moya Doherty gave it disastrously to D Forbes says Matt Cooper instead of promoting him so he finally got it second time round um, uh, but the person who appointed him and backed him clearly is gone and the chair and CEOs which effectively what Backhurst is mm. you know that partnership is is it's hugely important yeah, in any organisation just as there has to be trust between the chair of the organisation and the minister that appoints them the minister is the shareholder and therefore has to have trust so the uh, it, it clearly seems Catherine Martin well Catherine Martin wouldn't have acted as she did. Uh, I'm not quite sure on the programme, I've watched the programme, whether she actually intended to go on and pretty well declare lack of confidence with with the inevitable consequence of resignation of the chair of the RT authority. Did she go on, did she not anticipate that, uh, I thought, very, very coolly and cleverly Miriam O'Callaghan probed that question uh, three times and asked her to declare confidence. She wouldn't declare confidence. The but chair that's was a question. Did she intend to do that? There were other ways of approaching this. One was not to go on the programme. That's, that's a question that's always asked. Yes. So, like, one would be naive to go on prime well, time and not again, expect you wondered, that question did to be she asked. go on to, to say that? I mean, she had other alternatives. One was not to go on. The second one was to have the meeting with Shuni Rafferty um, the, on the afternoon of Thursday and then go on. But in any case, she chose to do what she did and the consequences were pretty inevitable. Yeah. Well, I think that there's three things to watch here. Number one is what happens on Tuesday when Catherine Martin herself is in front of the Oireachtas Media, Media Committee. Uh, the second thing is is picking up on, as I say, what both Arthur Beasley and Matt Cooper talk about, which is where the funding comes from. But then the third thing, I, I still go back to this point about there's more than the individuals we're talking about who work in sure. RTE. And I, if I was working in RTE today, I would be wondering, like, who's listening to me? And the, so Matt Cooper brings up the, this point here. He said... He said, giving itself four years to cut 20% of the headcount would not be allowed in any commercial body. 
it's not a commercial body. No. And this this was the conversation we were having over the summer is how exactly is it going to be funded? Not just who will be funding it, but with what role? Is it government? Is it industry? Is it others? Is there another fund, funding model there? And I think that's what we also need to consider is where does the role of RTE fit in here? How And how does that align with its funding? And the news and current affairs element of RTE, crucially in the national interest, must remain independent of government. Well then, uh, that, but this is the point about the economic reality is that how, well, how does that happen? We the, take the one the only way to panel, discuss we'll those topics in a rational way is to get all these other distractions out of the way. Yeah, precisely. And to de-escalate, not escalate yeah. what's going on. Yeah, okay. We better move on. Aircap delivered record income this last year. Uh, this is a wonderful industry and the numbers here are, are eye-watering in terms of what this business is doing and how this sector represents to Ireland, Susan? Well, I mean, air travel in general around around the world is growing. And the, the fact that, that you have a company like Aircap, who is, and indeed Emerald Airlines as well, as well as Aer Lingus, etc., all, all participating in this. So for anybody who isn't aware with what Aircap does, Colin Gleeson explains to us uh, in the Irish Times that it is a company that buys aircraft from manufacturers using a combination of its own cash and borrowings and then leases them to airlines and other customers. So uh, they announced their results for... Um, for the last year and its full net income amounted to $13.78 per year uh, and that it also delivered an income of $1.1 billion or five thirty-seven per share and if you want to say well okay what does that mean to the person who might have bought their shares the shares have been up 31% in the past 12 months and I, I just think if we, if we look at the, the future of the industry it is predicted that we will have 200 million more passengers in 2024 than we had in 2019. So I remember, of course, the days of when we were talking about is air travel gone, etc. And, you know, people's... Would pe- COVID people slow, close would, it down forever? It, absolutely not. In fact, 44% of people say travel, that they're going to travel more in the next 12 months rather than the previous 12 months, according to an IATA survey. And um, crucially for the story we're talking about, that the organisation also expects the passenger yields will be up by 1.8% over 2023. This is a huge Irish success story we should celebrate. It. Unbelievable. And, and, and to, to turn over 3.1 billion mm-hmm. uh, last year, like it's... Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I just included the other story of Emerald because, you know, they're probably a customer mm-hmm. uh, of Aircap in terms of, uh, you know, they're... They're off to, a, I, I suppose, a slow start. It's a startup uh, yeah. business, Emerald Airlines. Uh, they recorded pre-tax losses of £21.35 million in their first year of operation. But they say this is on track and this is in accordance with their business plan and it will come right. So uh, there seems to be great confidence that, that will happen. Ken, when I have you there, I don't know if you're familiar with the building, uh, the Ratmines Art Deco building, among six post offices to be sold off by Unpost. Uh, some disquiet over this. I heard... Uh, uh, talk from New Ross today that there was a protest there. Uh, also, um, people in Fibsborough are not happy about the sale of its post office. Uh, some of these buildings are really iconic. They are, and this is uh, this is part of a business strategy by Unpost. Uh, and the focus of the uh, this particular story uh, by Olivia Kelly is the 90-year-old Ratmines post office. It says one of the most prominent buildings in the South Dublin suburb is to be sold by Unpost, along with two other Dublin post offices and a further three across the state. The 1934 Art Deco building in Ratmines, as well as the post offices in Bibsborough and Talla, Roscommon Town, Tipperary Town, New Ross and Wexford are part of transformation of the National Post Office Network. More than 95%, they say, of the 900 post offices are contracted out to independent businesses. But these 
small number, I suppose, of, of well, major buildings, historic buildings, um, are, are, are not, I presume they're not selling the GPO. Well, um, I, but, uh, yeah. um, but in any case, these ones are now for sale and there is local uh, disturbance uh, and, and unhappiness about it. How far away will the new post office be? A lot of people depend on their post office. Uh, yeah, and if you look at the demographic of people who go to the post office in particular, I mean, they're, sometimes when you're dealing with with older people, they're, they're kind of limited mobility, etc. And I'm quite familiar with where that is in Fibsborough. And if you to think about where the next closest one is, it's it's out in Glasnevin. So that means that it is a really significant distance away. Well, probably what will happen is that a, a post office will open in a centre or in a spar mm-hmm. within and that that seems to be the model yeah. that, that that they're going for now that reflects dedicated buildings or something yeah, now I, I worked and I have to declare an interest here that I did work uh, for some time in on post when I was working there in 2015 that figure of 40 post offices was over 50 so this is a trend that's mm-hmm. oh and a, ver- uh, a very very clearly developing yeah. trend. But I think it's the it's the uncertainty about where will I be able to post my package when I'm or sending my Christmas cards. I think it's that's the or, it's or it's the lack of communication about this. People who pick up their pension there on a on a weekly basis. Ken, I didn't know there was a murder in a bus- in a building in Trinity. Yeah, Were you aware of this? this is uh, one of the stories uh, relates to the rubrics, um, which are known because they are red as the colour of the building. The rubrics, which are more than three hundred and twenty years old, the oldest buildings in Trinity College campus, and they're reopening after a twelve point five million restoration. Um, it opened uh, the rubrics government Ireland's oldest surviving purpose-built residential building, according to the university, was built between 1699 and 1705. Whatever about the murder, I think most more con- contemporary uh, uh, memory will focus on the fact that it was outside the rubrics that Connell and Marianne in Normal People met up again. Right. Um, this is where at a party that was taking place in these the uh, historic buildings. buildings. Yeah. I'm surprised that's not mentioned in Olivia Kelly's uh, piece here. But former people, including uh, celebrities, well, I suppose Douglas Hyde, writers Oliver Goldsmith, John McGahern, um, and there was a murder un- un- unsolved. Apparently. I like the way you dismiss the murder so that we can talk about normal uh, people. Well, I just think... <laughs> That would be a more a murder in to, 1734, in 1734, or Marianne and Connell meeting up again outside the rubrics and normal people. Which will most people relate? We've learned a lot about you now, <laughs> Susan. There's a very interesting story in today's Irish Times by Ronald Quinlan. Waters among parties in 550 million bid for Ireland's largest shopping centre. And why I think this is such an important story is that a bid of 550. For a build, for a, 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 a complex that was sold for over a billion a few years before, there's a if if now it's only a bid five it, that's not the mm. the final price so but the, and it's a bid that's talked about but if that bid were to be realised it would mean that Blanchardstown Shopping Centre has basically fallen in value mm-hmm. by over fifty percent over a period of a few years. So I think it's important to talk about what those years are. So Blackstone had paid about 950 million in 2016, Ronald Quinlan explains to us. So what if you think about that, think of what's happened since 2016 and the answer is the growth of e-commerce. I mean, sure. like if, if you look at, uh, I think a startling statistic the Consumer um, Market Monitor tells us is that 5 billion euro was spent by Irish people last year online and 60% of that outside Ireland. So of course during the pandemic we became more used to buying online. So 
the the fall of the of the bricks and mortar store in in one sense I think speaks to this and the other thing is the fall in commercial property because people are falling or sorry they're now more inclined to have more well, this more hybrid is the working. first I suppose I suppose headline that I've seen in terms of the the gravity of such a fall in relation to commercial property. Well, I so, wonder, Billy, uh, is it commercial property as a whole or is it this particular sector? I wouldn't necessarily conclude that shopping centres and all of commercial property are going to be exactly the same market or exactly the same. Well, no, you're right. Well, They're can, probably different markets. Yeah, well, I mean, it, do, it does say it here at the end of the piece. It says that there's three external retail parks, external retail units, an office block and 7,000 free car parking spaces. So mm. it, it does it does reflect on people travelling to somewhere to either shop or work, mm. if I was to, to boil it down like that. But you're right, Bobby. The fact that this actually puts a number on Ireland's largest shopping centre in the context of that does bring, bring this to bear. However, I, I think it is also worth pointing out that this is one of six bids. Like, there are six... Six different, six different people say, who are like this. It's a bid, so it's not a, it's not a sale. So I think we need to stress that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on on the on the metro, um, but there's a couple of stories around it still because uh, it, it's going through a planning process at the moment. It's been on the go for quite some time now, Ken. It has. They're saying that engineering is the easy bit as Metrolink now needs to build public confidence. Well, Matt, Matt Cooper again has a piece on this. And Matt Cooper, who's normally re- pretty hard-hitting, um, broadcasts from this building, doesn't he? He uh, does upstairs, yeah. Upstairs, uh, but he, he's normally pretty hard-hitting and, and uh, doesn't pull his punches in terms of making his points. But he does say in the context of, of developments here, and this is very unusual, he says, the state's record of managing the costs of big infrastructure investments is not always great. I would expect it's something a bit more <laughs> sharp or, or pungent coming from Matt Cooper. But anyway, not always great. So there is this question about how much will it cost? The truth I, is nobody knows, but it's going to be enormous if the project goes ahead. I think though Matt Cooper's point here is that we have forgotten what the cost of, let's say the Lewis was. and, and, and Or Roy's, the Port Tunnel or well, any yeah, of those. I mean, they're big stories yeah. at the time and people like us sit around microphones and we talk about them at the time but when we're all driving on them a couple of years hence we, we, for, yeah. we forget about it. You're right, that's a good point. And, and I also think as well if you, if you look at Caroline Doherty's uh, Caroline O'Doherty's piece in, in The Independent it, it rhymes here with Matt Cooper's piece which is could we just get on with this please seriously I mean and there's a real trend of North Dublin in our conversation this morning we've gone from uh, we've gone from Fibsborough to, to Blanchardstown via uh, via passing the, the potential site of the Metrolink I mean it, I think if we look at any other city around Europe I know it's a well-won argument I, and I just think that let's please get on with this. Yes, we need to bring the residents with us, etc. Uh, but I think the cost, we will forget about that certainly in times to come. Yes, we should look for value for money, but could we just start building? But yeah. the Southsiders, and there's a few around this table here, um, object, uh, will have no objection to this because it doesn't affect them. Uh, but objections, disagrees. objections are part of the Irish life. We like shiny new things as long as they look located somewhere else. Um, so it doesn't really, but it is just going to be Spoken very disruptive like a for true people lawyer. on the route. Spoken like a true <laughs> Now, Ken, what about uh, Delire Street in Dublin and the Bishop's Buttery in Tipperary among the recipients? They both have one thing in common. This is Michelin stars, two that were awarded recently. Uh, Love seems to be central to their operation. I think you should be doing this story, Bobby, because you were talking earlier about this question as to whether... Married couples should operate in restaurants, highly stressed. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, on a personal level, uh, one of the quotes here says, as a couple, we missed weddings and funerals because we've been so focused and driven. So it is a potential strain. 
But in any case, uh, in these two clearly outstanding Irish businesses that have won uh, the recognition of of, uh, of Michelin stars this year, I've been to one, not to the other. Um, it, it is considered one of the achievements, but uh, they are questioning. Uh, but it, it seems manageable that you can have... Well, couples working together. I mean, I, I am married to my, my co-founder and uh, my then boyfriend who I set up the business with and now I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, I have well, to say, I wouldn't have it any other way. Are you or is what is it? Uh, he's the chair and I'm the CEO and uh, and those roles are very clearly defined. <laughs> really? No question of being fired? I, no? no question. <laughs> I, I, I would absolutely uh, take an opposite position to you on that, Susan, because I think, I think opposites attract and I think uh, business and love uh, should be the mixing of, of both should be at best avoided. Well, uh, ask my good wife that. We, we, we'll agree, we'll agree well. to differ. I'll bring in my husband the next time. Let, let's see now, what he has to say. It's a huge rugby day, so I want to finish our conversation around rugby. Um, and I want to bring you back, Ken Murphy, to the 70s mm-hmm. when rugby was maybe a different type of sport. Uh, but a very, very interesting piece uh, by uh, Kim Bielenberg today. But Mick Quinn, Willie Duggan, uh, Mike Moss, Gibson, yeah. Moss Keane, all some, the greats. Some and of these no longer with us, sadly, like Willie Duggan and Very sad. Um, uh, Mick Quinn uh, talks about, and there's a big focus on uh, the, uh, he re- references the Ireland uh, 1974 team, of which he was a member, which won the Five Nations Championship as it was then outright. That was very unusual, but it was a very different time. I know Tony Enserwell, who was at full back in that team, but in those days, the players, had if they swapped the jersey after the match, they had to pay for it themselves. Yeah. The new jersey, 10 quid for a new jersey. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, but that that it, it's a completely different world now. I love the story about then. Willie Duggan, which is referenced in it, that he... Oh, he didn't cigarettes do, at halftime. Yeah. Cigarettes, and he didn't do warm-ups, wasn't there? Warm enough, he, driving up with the heater on. <laughs> Kenny today, yeah. I don't need to do a warm Listen, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks for a great review of the stories. Uh, Ken Murphy and Susan Hayes. Call it and enjoy the match if you're going to it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Down to business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.